last week, and I just wanted to take this opportunity to come around that message and really this whole series and do some recap and to talk about faith and where we go from here with, with this thing. And then we're going to look at this passage, James 5, uh, 13 through 15 and, and beyond. That's what Buddy spoke on last week. I, I don't plan on re-preaching the passage, but uh, he did such an amazing job talking about prayer. We wanted to come around this and talk about the healing angle of this passage. So let's, let's look at the text. It says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So we've all been sick. We, many of us are going through or have gone through major illness. And James says, go get some believers, go get some leaders and have them pray over you. Have them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, many people get hung up or really attached to the oil part of this passage, but the oil is simply a symbol. Uh, There's no real power in the oil itself. It's just like baptism or communion. They're symbols. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit so that during that prayer, we would keep our eyes on Jesus, not the person praying. And it wouldn't be a ton of oil, just a, a, a dab of oil, and it would be done in the name of the Lord. The emphasis is that it's done in the name of the Lord because the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now that last healed is a different word, healed. It's not just a physically healed. It's everything going on inside of you. It's an all-encompassing healing. And it's complete healing for everything. And then it finishes with that powerful statement, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So let's talk about this topic of being healed. What are we to believe about healing? Because there are there's so many teachings on healing. There's really, there's two extremes in the church. By and large, if you go to church to church, by and large, there's two extremes on healing. There's one that's, the pendulum's way over here, and and. A lot of people call it name it and claim it. You just say it, you claim it, you ask for it. Don't even go to a doctor. They say don't even do the treatments. Ask God for healing and you'll be healed. And if you're not, it's because God is rejecting you for some reason, probably because there's sin in your life. But there's a lot of condemnation in that teaching and it's not it's not biblical it's not even really wise but then the the pendulum will swing all the way over here and and over here they say well God doesn't even do healings anymore God doesn't do miracles anymore that after the Bible finished well then there's there's no more healing there's no more miracles but that's not true either they say the great physician has closed up shop but he hasn't closed up shop because there's healing. There are, I mean, has God done one miracle in the last 2,000 years? Yes. So then he hasn't closed up shop. But, but what's really happening in these two extremes is they're trying to answer this question. And the question is, why doesn't God heal every time we pray? So no healing happens apart from God. But God doesn't heal every time. So why did God heal this person in this miraculous way, but he did not heal this person? And, and we've had people in our church family in situations that man, we've prayed for them and, and God healed them. And then we prayed for this person and God didn't 
heal this person. But if there's this promise in Scripture, why doesn't it always work? And here's the answer. You may want to write this down in the margin somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) I asked Pastor Kelly. He doesn't know either. I looked up what some amazing scholars have to say about it. They don't know. But we do know that God always does the right thing. That's hard to remember sometimes when God doesn't heal. And when we're focused on our earthly moment and this moment and and this world. But God lives in a realm much larger than this world and looks over time a lot larger than just this moment. And so sometimes God says no to our requests. Next week I'm going to preach a message titled, When God Says No. When God Says No. And many times God's answer to the prayer that we're praying is heaven, the place where we will spend the majority of our existence. So we'll talk about heaven in a couple months and you ask for it. God operates in this realm much larger and we have to have this comfort level for what we don't understand in order to walk this walk of faith. That's why they call it faith. And I don't have a problem not understanding everything, not having an answer for everything. I love serving a God who knows and understands more than I could ever comprehend. And all I can do is what I'm called to do and that is to put my faith and my trust in Him. Let's keep going with this. There's There's three observations about healing from this text. And the first observation is that God still heals people. He does. How do I know that? Because Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ, the great physician, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Paul wrote to Timothy and he said this. said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. The apostle Paul wrote that. You might say, really? He's going to rescue you from every evil attack? Aren't you the Apostle Paul that wrote most of these letters from prison? Aren't you the Paul that was shipwrecked three times? Aren't you the Paul that was whipped beyond number? Aren't you the Paul that was martyred? And he said, yes, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So which is it? Are you going to rescue me or am I going to heaven? Yes, both. We've personally seen this in in our church family. We've seen both sides of this. We've seen God say yes and heal. We've seen God say no and healing not happen. And we've seen God heal people and then not too long after they pass away. But we've got to grab hold of this verse because both of them are miracles. Both of them are a work from God. When you serve our God, you are in a win-win situation. When you believe and follow Jesus Christ, you cannot lose because in both places, God does a miracle. He'll either heal you and you'll, the healing will glorify God or you'll die and be with God in glory. So he delivers me from every evil attack and takes me safely into his kingdom. Then James changes the subject, it seems. He says, oh, and by the way, if he sins, that will be forgiven too. And if you confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, now that's real healing. Deeper, deeper than the physical. That's the second observation. God is also concerned about my soul. So God likes bodies. You need to know that. He likes bodies. He created your body. 
One day, everybody will rise. Pastor Don, our children's pastor, is going to talk about end times. He'll talk about, and you asked for it, one day when everybody will rise. But God is also very concerned about the soul. We're so concerned with our bodies. I mean, we lock our doors, we buy insurance, we go to the gym, we take vitamins, we go to the doctor. I recommend all those things. I do those things. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's just saying, you're all are too body focused. You're missing the point if you think it's all about just being physically healed and that it's all about the body. So, so I go to the gym and I go to the doctor and I'll watch what I eat. But I'll also go to my small group. And I'm also in church today, and I'll also open up my Bible, because I'm also concerned about my soul. And I'll go to my small group, and, and I'll confess sin, and, and I'll pull out you know, fears and pull dark things in my life out, out into the light, because I'm as concerned, if not more so, about my soul. You want to know a real miracle? When a person's sins are forgiven. Real healing is healing of the soul. Praise God when things work out for us on earth. But rejoice. The more amazing miracle is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and heaven is open to you. So celebrate the earthly miracles, but rejoice that heaven is open to you. Now here's the last observation as it regards to healing in this text, and that is that God wants me to grow in faith. The key word there is grow. So after you write that word, circle it. God wants me to grow in faith. I'll say it this way. God wants to take me, he wants to take you on a faith journey. The faith to believe for the miracle of heaven, the faith to believe for the miracle on earth, and the faith for everything in between. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith for us. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. It's saying, so I don't see it yet. I don't hold it in my hand yet, but I believe it. I'm assured. I'm sure. I know because I have faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So to illustrate this type of faith, this biblical faith, James closes by referencing another Old Testament person. So he's referenced Job and Abraham and Rahab, and now he references a prophet named Elijah. James 5.17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Now the people James is writing to would say, what? Uh Uh-uh. Elijah, he was a miracle man. Like he performed miracles. And James says, yeah, this is just like you. And then he referenced an account that we'll look at today. Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So let's talk about this, this account and let's talk about Elijah. And let me quickly do some setup and history on, on the person of Elijah in this account. Elijah was a prophet while an evil man named Ahab was king. 
And Ahab was the 19th consecutive evil king. And scripture says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than all those other kings before him. Now Ahab also had an even wickeder wife because behind every wicked man, (laughs) never mind. Ahab, I'm just saying he was very easily controlled. As one preacher put it, the last decision Ahab ever made was I do. And then uh, Jezebel had it from there. So Ahab and Jezebel had turned the hearts of the people away from God to false prophets. And so God raises up a true prophet, Elijah. And a prophet is someone who proclaims the word or the will of God. Elijah means, so his name means, my God is Yahweh. It was very bold, especially then when you got all these false prophets. Hello, nice to meet you. My name is my God is Yahweh. So your God may be the sex God or the nature God or the sun God. My God's the one true God, Yahweh. Very bold. So Elijah comes and he stands down the evil king Ahab and he says, it's not going to rain until I ask God to cause it to rain. And Elijah proclaims the forecast, not like a weatherman, but his words actually turning on and off the water supply. So he pronounces this huge drought, and sure enough, it doesn't rain at all for three and a half years. So he pronounces this huge drought, and sure enough, it doesn't rain at all. Then God takes Elijah to a ravine where he's humbled in a season of hiding, and God miraculously provides for Elijah in the middle of this drought when Ahab is hunting him down, trying to kill him. And then one day, God dried up the brook that was providing for Elijah, and God led him out of the ravine to this place called Zarephath, where he met a widow. And the widow had just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and it wasn't enough. She thought she was going to die. But through Elijah, God miraculously multiplied it so that it was enough. And then one day the widow's son dies. And for the first time recorded in scripture, Elijah, he he takes the boy up to the upper room and prays for the boy. And God raises this boy from the dead. And then after a season of hiding where there's been no rain, God calls Elijah back to go confront Ahab, the evil king, and calls him out to a showdown. Elijah says to Ahab, go get the 450 false prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, bring them up to Mount Carmel and we're going to see who the real God is. Is it your gods or is it the one true God, Yahweh? So Elijah has them build this altar. He says, you go first. They put a bowl over it. And he says, you go first. You call on your gods to bring down fire on the altar. All morning, they are yelling, wailing, dancing. I mean, they start cutting themselves. At the end of the morning, Elijah just starts making fun of them because nothing's happening. He says, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. Yell louder. Come on, wake him up. And then Elijah, he's had enough and he builds his altar and he has the false prophets in the middle of this drought soak it in water three times, drench it in water. And then Elijah calls on the one true God and immediately 
God sends fire straight down from heaven to consume the altar. And the fire engulfs and eliminates the whole thing and licks up all the water in the trench. And the prophets bow down in worship to the one true God. It's amazing. I mean, why do drugs when you could do scripture? This is an incredible story. <laughs> and then Ahab looks at Elijah and Elijah turns to Ahab and Elijah says, I hear a rainstorm coming. And actually, the text says that he heard the sound of rain in his mind, like God had given him the word, before there was even a cloud in the sky. And that's how the faith journey begins every time. Number one, faith begins with a word from God. It's a word from God's word. We get a promise from the Bible. There are thousands of promises from God in the Bible. And many of you were once believing God for a promise he'd made. But you've stopped. You've let your faith grow weary. You've let passion slip away. How do you get it back? Now let's back up in this story and see how it begins. 1 Kings 17.1 Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my, what? That's how faith begins, with a word from God. He'd gotten a word from God. Let me say something to you about the promises of God. You need to grab a hold of this today and understand it. The promises of God always come to pass. They always have, they always will. And there will be a moment when you will stand face to face before God and you're going to go, God, you were right. It didn't look like you did the right thing, but now I see it. You were right. You were right. You go, oh, like the sound of when we all get to heaven, like we think it's going to be the Hallelujah Chorus. It's just going to be a bunch of believers going, oh, oh yeah, you were right. You were right. You did the right thing there. I know it looks crazy right now. I know the world looks crazy right now. I know your circumstances seem crazy right now. But there is a God and he's under control. And for those who love him, he will work everything out for his glory and their good. And his promises will come to pass. And that's why I want you to grab hold of this truth here. Look at this verse from Isaiah 55, 11. God is speaking. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I'm trying to give you a word from God today. That's my goal today. Because my words will return empty. God's words will not return empty. God's words will never return empty. Every time I come up to preach, I just remind myself, no one needs more Ryland Walter today. That's the last thing they need. They need God's words. All of my words will be forgotten. They will, not, they will not return. God's words will not return empty. Here's the second part of this faith journey, and you need to be reminded of it today. And it, it, it's way more complicated, and it's probably where most of us are in our faith journey. Number two, faith continues when you hold on to what he said. Faith continues when you hold on to what he said. 
If you don't hear anything else today, I've come to tell you that wherever you are in your faith journey, whatever you've been believing God for, that healing, that relationship to be restored, that legal situation to come to an end, the restoration of something, getting out of debt, whatever you're believing God for, I don't know what it is, but I do know you need to hold on and you need to hold on a little longer. Watch how this story with Elijah plays out. Elijah prays for it to rain. Now, James says simply that Elijah prayed for it to rain and then it rained. That's not really how the story went. It's a little simpler than how it went. Because Elijah actually prayed for it to rain and it did not rain. The Bible says, so after the the fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar and the false prophets worshiped God, Elijah hears in his mind the sound of rain and he and his servant go up to the top of the mountain and Elijah puts his head down between his legs and faces the ground. And he says to his servant, I'm not even going to look at the circumstance. I'm not even going to look at the situation. I'm going to stand here and pray, and and you go look. 1 Kings 18, verse 43 says, Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Go back. Servant comes back. There's still no rain. Go back again. Still no rain. Go back. Somebody say, go back. I think God put me up here this weekend to tell somebody to go back. You gave up too soon. Go back and pray again. Look again. Worship God again. Seek God again. Pray some more. Seek God again. Do it some more. There's something in my life I have been praying for healing for years, and I'm not giving up. I'm going to go back. I'm not going to stop believing. Where else would I go? I'm not going to stop worshiping. Lift your hands again. Sing your song again. Open your Bible again. Pray again. Believe God again. Go back. Seven times he says, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And Elijah says, that's all I needed to hear. Notice the persistence in his faith. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Go tell Ahab, There's a, you've got a flood to beat. And the rain will stop him if he doesn't get home. I love the process. I love the persistence of that, that I'm going to keep trusting God. And wherever you are in your situation, hold on. Don't give up. Put your face to the ground and believe God again. And if you don't see something out over the sea, go back and do it again. Here's a verse for you to memorize. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, now who knows the proper time? God knows the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now why does God do it this way? Why does it work this way? Why does he have to make it complicated? Why can't I just pray and he do it? I think there's a reason for it. And I think this will radically change your relationship with God. If we come to understand this, we'll even come to appreciate this process. Because there is this process. It's a faith journey. It it didn't go from no cloud to downpour. Servant says, there's a a cloud the size of a man's hand, and it grew. 
it grew. And that's how it always goes with faith. Faith goes from a small beginning to a grand finale. That's number three. First Kings 18.45 says, Meanwhile, the sky grew. It grew. Black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And God finishes it with this grand finale. And that's how he does it every time. It's always immeasurably more. It's always God. It's always more than we could have ever dreamed. But it starts out little. It starts out with this small beginnings. Why? Because he likes the process. Because in the process is where the work begins. And our relationship with him becomes so huge. And we're drawn close to God. And there's power in that. And we like it instant. We want everything to be instant. I want to pray for it. And it happens. I want things to happen instantly. And God says, I like faithfulness. Matthew 25, 23, Jesus is telling a parable and comes to the end. This is something Jesus would say as we enter into heaven. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's how it begins. It begins with something small. Something little. I'm standing in front of you preaching today. I didn't just, ministry didn't just start this way for me. It started out little. I remember this church 19 years ago. It was little. Everything we owned fit inside of a trailer. And for a time, we'd store that trailer in a storage unit. And my brother would, my older brother Andrew would go pick up the trailer. And lots of guys did, Brian and Andy and Joel, but... Whenever my brother would pick up the trailer, he'd pull me out of bed at like 4.30 in the morning, throw me in the cab of his truck, and we'd go pick up the trailer, and I'd tell people that was my call to ministry right there. So. <laughs> and we'd, meet, we'd take it to wherever we were meeting that Sunday, school, movie theater, hotel ballroom, park, community center. My brother would pull me out of bed, we'd, we'd go get the trailer, We'd unload all the sound gear, all the Rockbrook for Kids gear out of the trailer. That was my job for a while. I'd set up the Rockbrook for Kids stuff in another movie theater or a classroom. Our cleaning teams, wow. Our cleaning teams, they would, we'd go into the, the hotel ballroom and they would get there. I mean, it's still dark out and they'd clean up from a wedding reception the night before and clean up the beer and the whole thing and, and, and get that place smelling good and turn it in, we'd turn it into a church. They'd go into a movie theater and they'd take out all the nasty, stale popcorn smell and we'd turn that place into a church. They'd clean up, after, they'd clean up a school cafeteria on the weekend. And so many times when I'm, when I'm here and if I'm cleaning or setting up or setting up things on the stage, man, I, sometimes I just remember when we were pulling that stuff out of the trailer. If you were on the worship team, I mean, come on, you'd have to load up your gear from the house, take it to someone else's house in their basement where we were having practice, unload it, set it up, practice, tear it back down, load it back up, take it back to your house, unload it. And then Sunday, you'd load it back up, take it to the venue where we were playing, unload it, set it up, play it, tear it down, load it back up in your car, take it back to your house. And after a few years of that, you're wishing you learned to play the harmonica is the truth of it. But I remember so many of you do, the small beginnings, the little, but we didn't resent it. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord 
rejoices to see the work begin. He rejoices to see it begin. I'm just telling you my story and some of the story of this church because that's the one God's given me to tell. But you have your story and we could look at your life and, and you'd say it wasn't always this way. There's been faithfulness and little. It wasn't always this way. We weren't always out of debt. We didn't always have this. The, the, this marriage wasn't always this strong. Family didn't always look like this. You could, you could say the same thing about your situation. I'm so glad, I'm so thankful that God taught me the process. And I'm, I'm so thankful that he taught me the miracle, that the miracle is really in the small things that no one sees. The stuff that no one will ever see. I love our pastor because if you didn't know anything about what being a pastor looked like and you were to follow around Pastor Kelly for a week and then come back on report on what a pastor does, one of the things you would say is that a pastor takes out the garbage because he does it all the time. Yesterday afternoon, before church, I walk up there, he's taking out the trash. Why? Because if you're too big to do little things, you're too little to do big things. And some of this, I had to learn the hard way. I did. I had to learn the hard way some of this, but but I learned that God doesn't need another cover for GQ. And he doesn't even need a brilliant person. What he wants is someone who turns in their homework on time. What he wants is someone who will be faithful and little. He wants someone who's desperate enough for God to pray. And we love it when we have the supernatural victory, when we have the blessing, the favor, the success, when the greatest miracle of all is that God would use the ordinary, the humble, the common, and the mundane. And a lot of people, they want to be God's chandelier in the living room when what God really needs is a nightlight in the hall because more people are not stumbling because of the nightlight than the chandelier that says, look at me. Here's what I'm getting at. Write write this in. The process, the being faithful and little, the process is the point. This is why we do whatever we can to make the process just painfully clear around here. I mean, some churches you you go to and you don't really really know the process. You don't really know the pathway. You don't really know how to be discipled. You don't really know how to join a team. And that's why every week we tell you about growth track and how to jump in on the process. And I didn't talk about an announcements today because I wanted to talk about it right here in this sermon. But today at 1.30, we're going to offer 401 Dream Team, which is the fourth step in our growth track process. And you're going to have the opportunity, if you've never been to a growth track before, event before, that's okay, you can come today. You're going to see the list of, of dream teams, of teams, and you can meet with the leader of that team. And jump in on the process. Now, many of you have done this. And, and some of you have come. And, and you've seen the process. And, and maybe you had next steps to take in your faith journey. And you just stopped. And that's because you missed the point. That the process is the point. That the faith journey is the point. That the next steps are the point. And that you can't do the big thing until you do the little thing. And you can't do the big thing until you do the next thing. Now James ends this passage with perspective. Last verses of the book of James, 
My brothers and sisters, if if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, why does he end this wonderful letter with that thought? Because even as you're praying and hoping, it's really all about heaven. The greatest miracle of all is eternal life. That heaven is open to us. And if God never did anything else for me, eternal life is more than enough. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To be healed, that would be great. To be with Jesus, (laughs) even better. Immeasurably more. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, today I pray for everyone in this church that you would, you would take them on a faith journey where they are praying, where they are trusting. God, we trust you. And we want to come to appreciate the process. God, help everyone in church today to hold on and continue on in this process of following you and drawing close to you. Maybe you say today, Ryland, I don't, I'm far from God. In fact, I don't even know If I'm a Christian, well, if you want to know, just pray this prayer of faith with me right now. In your heart and mind, say, Jesus, I receive what you did on the cross, that you died my death in my place. I ask you to forgive me. I surrender my life completely to you. God, I invite you to change me, to be my Lord, to be my God. Today I choose to follow you. Today I give you my life. I give you my trust. God, I I put my faith in you. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.